Hey, boys, what's up? Everybody, we're going to fuck you. Okay, guys, guys, we got Nate. Nate, Stafford, Demarcus, special guest Bavdi Shay. Special guest Bavdi Shay. Yes, great job, Seth Erie. Hey, Seth, yes. what are you gonna get for Christmas? Because we're recording this two days before two Christmas. Days, yes. Well, what do you get for Christmas, buddy? What do you think? Ice cream. Ice cream? Yes. For do Christmas? No, do it. Dole Whip? Yes. I don't know. Oh. Okay, what else do you think? Um, uh, I want a giant kind of toy. You want toy? Yes, I uh, the, the Bethany Shay what? Book? Uh, uh, Tour? Uh, Tool? Um, Bethany Shay. Fix. Fixer the hammer? Yeah, fix on the hammer. You want the Bethany Shay fix hammer? Yes. Okay, oh. perfect. Right. Hey, Seth. Especially. Hey, Seth. Yes. You know what oh. we did for Christmas growing up when I was a kid all the way what? through and still, t- still <laughs> now? For Christmas breakfast, we have waffles with ice cream on top. So we do have ice what? cream for Christmas. What? What? Yep. what? That's our Christmas Class morning breakfast. Yeah, that's a dude. That's awesome. Waffles yeah. and ice cream. Yes. Yes. Nice. Nice. And we also have, <laughs> we also have Big Nate in the house. Big Nate, what's up, Nate? Big what's Nate, up, what's up, everybody? Big Nate's voice dropped a couple of octaves as he got no, sick this week. No, sick. <laughs> I'm just in handsome mode. I'm in enhanced mode. I'm in my house, boy. Yeah. So this is a very, you know. Well, well polished podcast we got going here today. <laughs> Nate, how's it going, buddy? Man, guys, it could be better. <laughs> you, just, you just gotta take everything, you know, in a positive light. You got to. Um, you got to. I'm just thankful for another day of breathing. Wow! Wow! Even yeah, because it's, it's amazing, Nate. Yeah, the voice is rough. Absolutely amazing. Yeah. All right. Well, listen, we need to tell Stafford. To hit the theme song. Can you do yes. that, Sammy? Okay. Hit the visa. Hit the visa. Hit the visa, boy. Hit the visa. Well, okay. Seven, please. It's Voxology Christmas. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that is the sight and sound of three of the Erie clan uh, mixed together. Imagine us in a house. Today, it is negative one in Nashville, which is absurd. Oh, my gosh. And it uh, went from 51 yesterday to negative one overnight. Soon and, people will have uh, it. They'll be able to see it as a sight. The what? podcast, the video, what you just saw, what we saw, they didn't see, but soon they will be able to see. Oh, the, oh, wow. Because we're making shifts. We're making changes. We're adding video. Who? Um, where is Tim Stafford? What have you done with my friend? And who is this chipper? Who is this chipper, hopeful, optimistic it's Christmas fellow? season. Today, ladies and gentlemen, as Seth already gave away, we are joined by our dear friend, Bethany Shea, Pastor Bethany Shea. Bethany, hello. How hey are you? You just had an earthquake. Good. Yes, we had an earthquake in Northern California where I live in Humboldt County. uh, And it caused a lot of damage, actually. It did quite a lot of damage. uh, But most people were okay. And power is back on for most people. Some people are still having to boil water because of the pipes exploding. And uh, some houses were knocked off their foundation. A couple of people did die. um, Not it's it's hard to say if it was from the earthquake or during the earthquake or what, but two people died around that time, and then a bunch of people were injured. Good but night. we're doing okay, and the community just really rallied around each other and set up little warming stations and places to to charge phones. And um, hmm. yeah, it's been really it's kind of neat how neat within reason about how <laughs> people do come together in those sorts of shared traumatic experiences totally yeah yeah um do you feel like it's the godless liberals fault that that's the reason the earthquakes you got you know struck there or do you feel like it's god had some other reason oh no definitely the liberals yeah yeah okay that's good. yeah that, that confirms everything i've thought oh totally um, <laughs> fantastic bethany it's my if, fault. if you don't know yes well you are a pastor so there you go uh bethany is pastor um in two churches mm-hmm. uh which is freaking awesome and has written 
I mean, two books that I know of. Do you have other ones out there? Not yet. I mean, I've written a, another one, but Ooh, I like we'll that. see. Yeah. So the stepping next one, into yeah. Advent. Mm-hmm. So when this comes out, it'll be after Christmas. So, so yes. we're really good marketers. <laughs> um, but we have stepping into Lent. That's right. Which, which is in a couple of months. Yep. So that'll be, that'll be great. And you can buy those. Yeah. On Amazon. Yeah. Yeah. We'll put them both in the show notes. Thank you. Boom. But we, we kind of consider you um, our resident expert on all things Christmas. But before, before we get to Christmas, because Tim, neither Tim nor I have written a book on Advent. So, so we're bringing in true. the heavy hitters today for a Christmas <laughs> episode. But before we do, um, I wanted to, we, we have a, a, a really incredible sort of Patreon community um and um and so thank you for all all of those who have donated and contributed and i mean it's it's so humbling but we had we've had a very robust conversation about a tweet that i threw up there several days ago uh this tweet is from a guy named michael foster who said normal men don't feel comfortable in churches for the same reason they don't want to linger in the women's clothing section at a store. It feels overly feminine. And um, that little tweet obviously you know, sparked a bit of conversation because we've been talking about uh, women in leadership. Um, can women be elders, women... Uh, preaching and teaching and you know obviously you know you might have an opinion on that as a woman who is leading and preaching and teaching (laughs) but I thought I thought that would be an interesting conversation for us to have uh, and invite other people into because I've heard this like I've heard several iterations of this there was the old promise keepers kind of movement um, that was you know men need need really to be men and Promise Keepers events were, you know, football coaches and players, you know, speaking and, um, and, and there were, of course, I'm sure there was some good that came out of that. And then there was the whole John Eldridge wild at heart thing about men recapturing their masculinity. And, and that wasn't blamed so much on, on females, but it was blamed on kind of the church that had neutered men. And so this kind of trope is not something new, but I wanted, I wanted to get your guys's take on it. Um, uh, so let's say the demogra- let's say the the you know the common demographic analysis is true that there are more women who go to church than men, although both populations are decreasing rapidly. Um, what what do we what do we think is is the reason for that? Now, and again, I don't even like the way that question's framed, but just to spur conversation, let's assume that's true. And and why why would we say? That's the case. This person is suggesting that the church feels overly feminine, therefore men don't feel comfortable in it. What say you two? I I think it would be important to define what he means by feminine. I mm. think that that's already a loaded sort of word. Uh, what does feminine and masculine mean? And is that a cultural definition or is it a biblical definition? Is it something that we're that we're born with or is it something that we learn? Um, so I think that'd be important to define that. And obviously he didn't because it's a tweet, but right. that could be helpful. Yeah. Well, whatever the clothing section, whatever the women's clothing section feels like, that's the feeling, Bethany, that feeling there. <laughs> I don't like lingering in any clothing section. No, no, absolutely not. <laughs> yeah. And, and the phrase normal men. Right. Which yeah. is, you know, anytime you're like, okay, so normal men don't, but so if you like church, you must be an abnormal right. fellow. Timothy, what say you as a artist, an Enneagram 4, a man <laughs> who has a beard, yes, but also painted his house black? That's right. Um, this has always bothered me. The, the first time I ever heard this being batted around was during the early Driscoll years. Um, cause I had a friend that was working with him, the Driscoll years, the Driscoll years and they the were dark times. They're trying to beef up. I mean, obviously Driscoll had all of his manly, um, men aren't men anymore. Men need to be men. <laughs> Women need to know their place in supporting men. 
Uh, but they also kept trying to make church services more manly so that men would want to come. They're lamenting men not showing up then. And that and their version of that was A, Driscoll being a bully from the pulpit, but yeah. also they were trying to make worship music more like they had this whole thing. They like rented out a nightclub or something. I can't remember exactly. Yeah. And they were trying to take modern rock music and turn it into like to. They hired to make the worship. lead singer of Thrice to right. write they're, worship so they're songs. They were trying to beef up everything to make it because men weren't coming. I just remember thinking how comical that. I mean, it plays yeah. like an SNL skit. Like, men aren't coming, so let's manly up church. And then you can just see like Will Ferrell coming out with a, you know, leather jacket and <laughs> playing music really hard or whatever. But as yeah. we know, we've talked about over and over again, there's so many men who find themselves, and women who find themselves ostracized by that kind of language immediately. And then they feel shame and they feel mm-hmm. guilt for not fitting some really, really tight mold that you know, like Bethany just said, no one has ever real, no one really knows what the true definition of is anyway. Probably the, this guy doesn't either. If you're to press him on it. Yeah. I yeah. find it, I find it so interesting though, that the vast, vast majority of leadership, teaching, celebrity positions, worship leading positions are all held by men. Mm-hmm. And yet the church feels too feminine. <laughs> and <laughs> And of course, instead of looking inward and reflecting on maybe somewhere along the line, we're not capturing the really radically egalitarian and compelling vision of the early church, let's blame women, which goes back to Genesis 3, doesn't it? I mean, this is just, it's so asinine that that somehow we're going to blame women for the church being feminine when men are leading it that that's the part that's the part where i just i want to throw something through a brick wall if that's even possible maybe through a window <laughs> but um i i just i i find it so absurd bethy how do you as someone leading a congregation or two cuz one can't you know isn't big enough to capture you <laughs> I mean, how do you like? How do you internally process this stuff? Because I'm sure you've heard this or yeah. some version of it very personally. Um, like, how do you wrestle through this kind of thing? I think oftentimes when people pose a question like, or a comment that people aren't going to church because it's too feminine or men can't be involved because of that, I think it says more about the person posting it than anything else. So. Honestly, I think that people just really need an excuse to not show up to things that could be really helpful for them or could allow them to see a different side of what it means to be human. Um, And so I don't think, I don't think it's really about how, like if, if church was more masculine then more men would show up. I, I think we do live in a culture that is very independent in a way. And like based on, I don't need anybody. Um, mm. We are created as emotional beings, though, and so the the femininity could be seen as an emotional response. And men don't really know how to, you know, in a cliche sort of way, men don't know how to get in touch with their emotions, or it's too scary, and so it's easier to avoid it. Um, but yeah. I, I I don't know. Like that whole independence is definitely something in our mm. culture. It's something that we've all learned, but I don't think yeah. it's only this generation. I think that this independent culture we live in and the society that we live in has been this way for hundreds of years. Men used to show up with their families to church, and that's obviously a broad picture, but what has changed? And I wonder wonder if what's changed is just like a lower expectations on men than Mm. on women. Um, Mm. Mm. And instead of rising up to that sort of a level of care for the same sorts of things or i don't know i i don't even know exactly what it is but if it is generational because i've talked to a lot of men and they're like well i don't go to church because i want to i've worked so hard all week and i want the morning for myself and um i want to watch football or whatever and that is also a cliche but i wonder is like what does it look like to redefine what church looks like is football a religious experience for somebody or is it just simply because they're lazy? And I don't know if it's like a black and white sort of thing, but I wonder if there could be a new way of experiencing a faith community 
that doesn't look like showing up to something that people might not even know how to show up to any longer. Mm-hmm. I think that's a hundred percent it. Yeah. Ever, like I've had conversations with pastors about, they're like, why won't the, I hear pastors ask how to get um, college or high school age, you know, younger folks to church. And the generation's not interested in performance. Like they're so hungry for authenticity and for transparency and being able to show up to a place that's supposed to be welcoming and supposed to be a place where you can be you a hundred percent. Instead, we still have a model that advocates for like, um, such a strict mold that people don't feel like they can be they're just, They don't feel, I don't think they feel welcome, the younger generations. And then, it, and then all you see is these polls that come out of like, the, the one the other day was like, this is the most godless time in American history because we're tipping over the we're tipping over the spectrum for how many people identify as Christians oh. in America. Mm. Like it used to be 70 something mm. percent or something. Oh, and they to, were all Christians. Yes. Right. But that's how that's the barometer for like. I feel like working? cussing today. It's just <laughs> nothing. It's says so Christmas. much BS. I mean, just the whole. It, a lot of our uh, Patreon commenters were just saying, why do we have to genderize everything? Right. <laughs> like, why, why can't you just ask the profound ecclesiological question, hey, it seems like we're missing something, so let's think about that. Then, then make it a, let's blame, let's blame the other group, even though we're the ones in power and making most of the decisions. I just, I, I find it nonsensical and so indicative of having so far drifted from the point of Jesus following and gathering as Jesus followers that I don't, I, I really don't know if the if if it can be rescued or you just need to let the thing die and start something new. Um, but I think you're really <laughs> That's on been the question on, for like a year. It or more totally, now. <laughs> totally, and I'm 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 in for both. Um, I obviously, and, and uh, I mean, Bethany and I would both say, well, yeah, we're part of churches that are trying to figure this out. Um, and yet there's uh, something in the whole, you know, atmosphere of what constitutes church in the American version of it that I don't think we can overcome, you know. I, I think I think it's needed more than ever right now. Maybe not in the context that we've been pushing church through this whole time, but I don't know, like I'm, I'm really, I've really been struck by this whole chatbot thing. Have you guys heard about chatbot? Oh, yes. oh, yeah. yeah. And yeah. Tim is suggesting that I'm not needed anymore. That he's the only <laughs> one needed. But that's, but that's the thing, Mike. I think that there is, I think that this sort of a, a formula that's happening, this, this bot that is progressing at a rapid, a, a rapid speed that we'll never be able to really catch up with. Um, it kind of can make people feel like they are no longer needed at all, or their their voice doesn't matter unless somebody, unless this chat is the one that's creating their voice because it creates it better. Um, that they aren't, they are no longer an important part of what it means to be human. Hmm. And and I I feel like just as you know we we're talking about the Christmas story eventually here, like you know we, we think of John and he's that voice crying out in the wilderness, and I think that there's we need prophets. We need people who are willing to cry out in the wilderness that your voice still matters. And just because a bot might be able to create a better voice doesn't mean that your voice isn't important because a bot doesn't have wisdom. It can talk about what wisdom is, but there, there's no wisdom. Yeah. Um, it, it can't have empathy. It can talk about what empathy is, but it's never felt empathy. Come on. And so, the, and compassion and all these things. And that's what the church is meant to provide or right. or create yep. a space a sacred space for compassion and empathy and human connection connectivity physicality all of those things are because they connect with our innermost being they connect with our souls our emotions maybe that's a feminine thing but i think more than anything it's just what it means to be human and yeah. we have to be those prophets speaking out into the world that says that thing that's happening over here this un unending yes. amount of knowledge that's out there that's not what it means to be human it feels like it is but it's not the actual real thing so how do we gather together how do we still see the importance and and affirm each other's humanity instead yeah. of believing that i am no longer needed in this world because something else is can do it better than i can yeah 
Oh, we're having that conversation so, in the English department right now because they're like, hey, we need to be on the lookout because this is, you know, we can write papers so much, so clearly and so easily. And it's exactly that too in the classroom. It's like, how do you cultivate the importance of critical thinking and mm -hmm. having a voice and having an opinion and having a something to say and be a part of that? And then also, how do you foster that in the classroom where everybody feels comfortable to throw stuff on the table and mess around with it and what does it mean to be human and to make mistakes and to be wrong and then correct yes and to learn from being wrong yeah that's such a that's such a great parallel bethany because it, it it's it symbolizes kind of um in, in a very powerful way the disembodied technological community knowledge base we're all kind of swimming in right mm -hmm. where there's yeah pseudo connection and pseudo wisdom and pseudo helpfulness and pseudo empathy and virtue signaling and we can you know yeah we have this pretend sort of life whereas the church offers this flesh and blood in all the yeah. ways right the good ways and the bad ways alternative to that so yeah the, 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 this is the most godless i mean it's just <laughs> come on the the opportunity to embody the difference that Jesus of Nazareth makes in a life is 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 beautiful and unprecedented. The the fewer people that become cultural Christians, um, I just I think this is the best time mm. to be a part of things. Absolutely. Yeah. Now now speaking of things to be a part of, Bethany, let's talk about Christmas because right. we're we're here, right? <laughs> Not finally, we're here now, and uh, Bethany. Uh, we, we at the Voxology podcast are of the belief that, shockingly, the war on Christmas isn't between Christians and non-Christians over whether or not we say Merry Christmas. The war on Christmas is between the church's retelling of the Christmas story versus how the Bible presents the Christmas story. And, and the nostalgia-laden... Nostalgia like hyper hallmarkized version that we get through nativity scenes and cheesy Christmas sermons versus the down and dirty flesh and blood of the real Christmas story. So what I wanted to do <laughs> is to give the floor to each one of us in turn, the, the greatest to the least. So we'll start with Bethany and then go to Tim. Um, <laughs> And, and, and I, I want, if you would, just to give a, give a beef, like, like Nate introduced me to this word, like we got beef means I thought, okay, we have a hamburger. Uh, it means evidently there's conflict. So we have a conflict between the, the Christmas story that we read in the Bible and the Christmas story that the, the church tells us about. So we got beef with the church, Bethany. Let's start. And we could go around as many times as we want, but let's talk beef over the Christmas story. Um, and I don't mean the cows that were there at the stable, because there weren't any cows, okay? <laughs> Bethany, as the, as the author of one of the best Advent books ever written, what would you say is one beef you have with the way the Christians tell the Christmas story? Hmm. Oh, just one. Um, well, let's we'll start. We'll start with one, and then we'll just go around the circle. Yeah, I think the hard part for me is how we curate it into this perfected experience. Ooh. Ooh. This, like, curated Christmas. And I find myself being pulled into those sorts of mm -hmm. spaces. We live in a world that is curated in of itself, but... Um, we like to compress Jesus into something more manageable. Preach. And that is this thing that looks really perfect with mm. our mantles being decorated and our home being decorated, even like our experience of Advent. Um, you know, I wrote this Advent book a couple years ago because I felt like I was lacking something. Mm. And then now I'm and I felt like some of that lack was because I was in seminary and I couldn't focus on Advent until all of a sudden my papers were in, but then I had to work on getting the Christmas Eve service together. So I always kind of missed it. So I was like, I'm yeah. just going to write something every day just for myself. Yeah. Um, and now I'm out of seminary and I feel like <laughs> I'm not experiencing Advent or Christmas or all of the emotions that I'm 
that I expect myself to experience, I'm not yeah. experiencing them and I get frustrated and I get irritated. Mm -hmm. And what if I just had it looking better? What if things were decorated more or we had, you know, I, I actually built an advent calendar that I did with my kids and we opened up a present every day and we had hot cocoa night and we went and took care of the, you know, we sang Christmas carols at the, at, at the old folks home or whatever it is that we would do that fits some sort of a yeah. picture, this picture of what I'm expecting it to look like. And instead I'm arriving tomorrow's Christmas Eve or, you know, whenever you hear this, it, today's the 23rd and, um, and I'm arriving and I feel like I didn't do it right this year again, hmm. again, yeah. again. Yeah. And I don't think it's about arriving correctly or rightly because you look at the story of Mary and she didn't arrive correctly or rightly. Like I'm sure she was incredibly disappointed with the way that this birth turned out, uh, the way that it happened and, um, and that disappointment could have been the marker of her experience. Yeah. But instead, she was able to be present because childbirth demands you to be present to all the pain and the um, the fear that happens. I mean, how many women die still in childbirth? But back then, it was incredibly fearful for a woman mm -hmm. to give birth. Um, all the things that she couldn't, that didn't go the way that she was expecting them to go. Uh, she couldn't curate it. She yeah. had no control to curate yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah. And she was able to be present to experience all of it. The, the scriptures say that she pondered it all. So she took her time. She was not feeling rushed through it. And I think so many times I, like I get to this day and I, and I feel like I've been rushing the whole time that I miss so much of the fact that Christmas isn't a day that we prepare for. It's a life that we live into. Come on. So I, that's what I've been kind of sitting in. And, and that's the, the beef I have is, is probably only within my own self that I fall into the trap of curating Christmas. Oh, so good. That's where I'm at. So good, man. Beef number one out of the beef park. Number one. <laughs> <laughs> well done. I, so, yes, there's this nostalgia mm -hmm. slash Instagrammable Christmas story we're supposed to produce every year. Yeah. Of perfect memories, no family dysfunction, no disappointment, no loneliness. Oh, so good. And I'm not I'm not against all the the you know, I think it's so beautiful how people really take their time and make everything look really beautiful for themselves. I d I don't have anything against that. Yeah. I, I just find myself falling into that trap of comparison often. Yeah. Uh, when I was a kid there my friend's mom would um and this was before any social media ever but she would have all the presents that would come in from her family members and everything. And she would rewrap them. So they all matched under the Christmas tree. And I, that's, that's not uncommon for some people. Everything wow. needs to wow. look a yeah. very specific way in order to feel like Christmas is actually happening. Wow. That's so good. Beef number two, Timothy, what do you got? Mine's very much the same. I've, been thinking about it a lot this season in particular, this year in particular. I was thinking about deconstruction. I think I said it on the little wander episode that many of us have been deconstructing for a long time, but for, you know, a decade or more, but that what it meant to us is that we were trying to understand the truth and pick up rocks and look what was underneath them. And it wasn't a negative thing. It was like a trying to truly understand what this all means for real. And to look at inherited beliefs and say, I want to understand if that's real or not and really know it for myself. And I did that episode on Oh Holy Night and I was explaining it to someone the other day, um, the history of the song. And I could tell in their eyes that they were really disappointed and offended that <laughs> I was telling them that it was like written by an atheist and that it became this other thing and blah, blah, blah. And that person, it was like I was attacking a piece of their... Yeah like a core tenant, like I was pulling a brick out of their faith and I could tell that they were offended by it. And all I was doing is explaining the history behind the song. It doesn't change what the song, I don't know. But so I started thinking that I would like to, I, I would like to separate this will, here we go. Here's a hot take. Whoa. I'd like to take Christ out of Christmas. Whoa, whoa, whoa. And celebrate <laughs> them separately. Like mm. Bethany was just saying, I think the, the season and the, 
the squalor and all that kind of stuff is great. It's a great family thing and we build this thing, we give gifts and we make our houses look sparkly and all that stuff. But unless it's black, unless it's black, but when we hung a nice wreath on it and some lights, it's accented now, you know, Mm. but you know, and reading like the, we were talking about reading, um, Jesus through the middle Eastern eyes or whatever. And, and they were diagramming what the birth scene actually looked like what it looked like in Palestinian times that it was likely in the side house and there were mangers in the side house because of the cold and that even Joseph's extended family would have taken them in and it wasn't this whole thing. And then Pete ends was talking about like, there wasn't three Kings. It says Magi, which were this and there weren't animals, but that's probably rooted in something in Isaiah that said a donkey at the manger. And like we constructed this thing and then we celebrate it. We have uh, a couple nativity scenes upstairs, but if that's not, accurate it and it becomes offensive to try to say hey this could be something different wouldn't you want to know the real thing so i kind of want to like just tear the two holidays apart i love it and be like this is going to be the birth of jesus and what does that mean how does jesus how would jesus want us to celebrate his birth and you know someone like shane claiborne posts all this stuff like hey this is the history of saint nick and who saint nick was and this is what jesus advocates for so maybe christmas and that way should be what does it mean to honor the life of jesus and what did jesus advocate for and then just celebrate christmas as a family holiday where we give gifts and and whatever but can i read that can i read that rachel held evans thing real quick of course because i found this bethany to read and then today's your advent for today um after i had found that then i read this and you have oh, no way. a rachel held evans thing in here as well yeah uh, and kind of celebrating what new creation means and um, um, kind of Paul correcting patterns mm. that we've kind of built and structures. And you use the example of the Truman Show and the Advent thing and how the Truman Show, uh, seeing the flaws, like, you know, seeing the mm-hmm. the cat in the Matrix, the deja vu thing, you know, and being like, wait mm. a second. Um, but this is, Rachel Hall Evans wrote this about Mary, and I thought it was a good piece off of what you were just saying. It is nearly impossible to believe. God shrinking down to the size of a zygote, implanted in the soft lining of a woman's womb. God growing fingers and toes. God kicking and hiccuping in utero. God inching down the birth canal and entering this world covered in blood, perhaps into the steady waiting arms of a midwife. God crying out in hunger. God reaching for his mother's breasts. God totally relaxed eyes closed, his chubby little arms raised over his head in a posture of complete trust, God resting in his mother's lap. God trusted God's very self totally and completely and in full bodily form to the care of a woman. God needed women for survival. Before Jesus fed us with the bread and the wine, the body and the blood, Jesus himself needed to be fed by a woman. He needed a woman to say, this is my body given for you. Oh, come on. Incredible. So I'd like to celebrate some of that stuff. Beef number two, extending the greatness. Mm. There's no pressure on beef number three, though. (laughs) We're just going to let all of that, we're going to let that double patty just sit there for a second. I love that. That's amazing. I'm going to go with the Mary theme, too. Because the the thing I've been reflecting on is I want to do a sermon called Smells Like Teen Spirit, where (laughs) we just read Mary's song. (laughs) Yes. Because the thing that always has befuddled me is how political the the Christmas story is. Um, In Luke's account, when the shepherds are... Um, hearing the angel's announcement and about a about a Lord, about a Savior, a bringer of peace. I mean, all of those were loaded Caesar words. But um, my friend Susie, who is a pastor and elder at our church, just preached on the Magnificat last Sunday. Mm. And I'm just sitting here reading it and going, wow, have we, instead of Christmas challenging the status quo, which is what the announcement was, 
right? Christmas has just become another expression of it, another expression of the American dream, another expression mm-hmm. of capitalistic individualism, another expression of my quest for fulfillment um, and my desire to look perfect. Mm-hmm. But this was, I mean, that, so I just want to read it because it's, you know, we always, um, we read the first couple of lines, we're like, oh, this is so sweet. Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. You're like, oh, okay, this is so sweet. She's just being grateful. And and what we don't have time to look at are all of the parallels between what she says about herself and what she and what she says about Israel and about how what God is about to do for her, he is going to do to Israel. He's going to turn the corporate life of Israel upside down in the same way her life is being turned upside down. And the great reversal is coming. That the, the vehicle through which, as you both have said, God is going to bless the world as a 14-year-old teenage girl mm-hmm. who is with no lineage, no expertise, no particular calling, just a willingness. Um, and, and so she goes on to say, the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. I mean, all of this is from the Old Testament. He has, might, he has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has, scat, he has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones. He has humbled, uh, lifted up the humble. <laughs> I can't speak today. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors." And you're sitting there like, what? That is the Christmas story, right? Yeah. All, and, and, the, and, and Matthew, Matthew's version of picking up on that is the whole Herod scene with the, mm. with the Magi, right? That, that the reason, like there was a, a, an assassination was because Herod understood the political implications of the announcement. And so in our politics, where we're you know, continuing to war over the elephant, and the donkey and which policies best represent the kingdom. Um, you know, Mary reminds us that any world system, any king expression of the kingdom of the world is about to be overturned in favor of this alternative politic. And so, and the fact that it comes through Mary is just the greatest thing ever, right? That the, that, that the announcement, that this zinger of Old Testament promise and not, not some theological, it's warming me in my heart promise, but a, the entire world is about to change promise. That coming through a teenage girl is endlessly fascinating to me. Yeah. So my beef is that we, and it's a continuation of the other beefs, that we've so softened this that it just becomes another expression of the status quo instead of a challenge of it. And so, man, that, that, that speaks to my heart. All right, do we I, each have another? Go, Bethany, oh, go. I, just, I, I love how this song that Mary sang, this prophetic song, I, it's written in the present tense. It's not the future that's going to happen. It's happening immediately. She says that he has brought down the rulers. He has performed mighty deeds. He has filled the hungry. Like, it's, it's happening now. And even though she can't see it happening now, she's mm-hmm. trusting that it's actually happening now. And because it's like a whole she's experiencing it. Yeah. It's a whole paradigm shift. No, Caesar is still on the throne. Like there are still people living in poverty. There are still horrible things happening and people are still suffering in her space that she was in right then. She didn't see any of these things happening. Uh, she didn't see like God was actually doing these things. She was trusting that God was, even if she couldn't see it. And even if she wasn't the one that would experience it personally, she knew that God was presently with them. And it makes me think of like the prophets and how like how often we look at the prophetical things of Isaiah. And maybe this is another beef of mine as well, but the, let's the, go. This okay. is round two of beefs. Go. <laughs> Great transition. So we, we look at these prophetical writings, like Isaiah and different things that are declaring who Jesus will be or the Messiah will be. And, uh, and it's very much like, um, and I write about it in, in my book as well, but it's Radical. very much about like, um, 
These are the things that will point to Christ. He'll mm. be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. All these sorts of words are pointing towards this Messiah and things will eventually be right. But it was written to a specific people at a specific time who were experiencing very current, horrible struggles and suffering. And yet these prophecies are saying, it won't always be this way. Something will change. Mm. But for them reading it, they're like, when will it change? Right, right. Because right now we're feeling this. And that's great that generations from now, things will change and it will get better. Mm -hmm. That's awesome for them. How does that help me now? How mm -hmm. does that actually do anything for me now? And I think if we take these sorts of prophecies and we, and we project them into the future, it belittles the reality that God is with us in our current state of suffering yep. right now. Yeah. Yeah. And we do this today, too. We think, well, things will be better once Christ returns. We right. just have to keep our eye on the prize, keep moving forward, keep faithfully following God, because someday things won't be this way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes, thank you. I'm so glad that things won't be this way someday. Where is God now? Right. Is God with me in this moment today? And I think that we're not meant to necessarily look at those prophecies and say, look, God was faithful and it came true. It's we, we need to look at them for the people that were experiencing the suffering then and realize that God was with them then and that God is with us now and things will be made better and whole in the future. But even in this current reality, even while we wait for things to be better, God yeah. is still with us in this moment. And so I just, that's kind of, Yep. That's kind of the beef of the prophecies that I have. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Christmas is either a celebration of something God did in the past or something mm -hmm. he's going to do in the future. Yeah. But it's not a celebration of what he's doing now. Right. Yeah. That's great. Right. Yeah. Being I that Christmas it. people instead of yes. a Christmas day. Come on. Yeah. Bam. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Beef number two, Timothy. I'll take the Szechuan beef number two. Wow. Szechuan. Mine's building word? off that too. The when I was reading on the history of St. Nicholas and trying to understand where our different Christmas um, traditions came from, <laughs> A, it's fun that it was like the the tandem was St. Nick and the Krampus, right? The goat-headed demon that would come and steal children and, and whatever, but um, just to throw a little Halloween into the Christmas story. Oh, of course, of course. But the St. Nick thing, like actual guy, St. Nicholas, um, lover of Jesus, and um, was somebody who tried to liberate those who were poor and oppressed. And the idea of where the stockings came from, from what I read, was that there was, he had heard of three girls who were going to be sold into slavery by their father. Mm -hmm. And so he tossed three bags of gold into the window of the house to ransom the girls. And the legend is that the money fell into their socks that were drying over the um, yeah. yep. fireplace. And so even that, the origin of Santa Claus in that way is built on like serving the oppressed and the poor. Yeah. And it's still it's right. just this thing that it's like I and I it, it becomes a, the Starbucks argument again of just like, you know, taking doing the happy holidays instead of merry christmas and how we're so angry that the, the war on christmas but the yeah. war on christmas is not on any of the tenets of what christmas was founded upon. Right. And I just don't understand why we're so defensive like this yeah. is literally built on the idea and so instead again even the commercial aspect of christmas should be pointing to all the children who are poor and hungry and mm -hmm. everything in this world and so with bethany what you were just talking about too i was just reading something recently on how a lot of the words for believe are actually translated more closely to trust hmm. than believe in the bible and when you're advocating for belief in and i may be wrong with this but that it's the our understanding of what the word believe means and how we understand trust that trust is so much closer to what it means to be leaning into those stories so with what you just said too like this trusting in mary advocating for a trust in something that wasn't happening yet says a lot right and it and it challenges the corporate the capitalistic version of christmas that we have and to trust that one of the ways of trusting in this kingdom that's here and is coming is remembering that those stockings mean like freedom for the oppressed and then partnering yeah. in that trust and yeah. partnering in saint nick being somebody who wanted to give up his title and his money because 
that was the way of Jesus and wanted to go out in the community and help people and stuff that that was the spirit of Christmas. And again, I just like, I'm going to, I'm going to petition my wife to, to cleave the holiday. (laughs) I like it. I think we should title this episode, taking Christ out of Christmas. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I like that, Tim. I, I, and I want to riff off of that for my beef number two, and we can end beefs here. The end of beef. The end of beef. Where's um, the beef? See that? Yeah, no one's going to get that. But that was a commercial we grew up with for Wendy's. Where's the beef? Or was that Burger King? I don't it remember. Burger, Burger King. King. Nice. I think it's Burger King. Yeah. Nice. Gen X in the house. Yeah. <laughs> so for, for one of the things that, that um, Christmas exemplifies, but it is true all year long in the American church, is the substitution of spectacle for hiddenness or mm. glory for weakness mm. or like like um the spectacular for the lowly uh, i mean the the christmas story is so full of quietness hiddenness weakness obscurity right i mean this is all happening away i mean the only it's just so funny the way Luke sets it up. The only thing that happens at the temple is that a priest gets struck mute mm. because he didn't believe. That's the, that. So you have an elderly, so old is good, male is good, priest is good. He gets struck mute uh, because of a visit by an angel. Then you have a young woman of no repute or lineage, um, and she becomes the mother of Messiah. And so, and and then you have the announcement to shepherds and you have the star of Bethlehem. I mean, the whole story is dripping with the fact that this is happening away from everything important and everything spectacular and everything glorious. And so what we've done, and I do it in my heart, is we substitute spectacle, right? So you have these pictures of Christmas Eve services all throughout American megachurches that have angels flying across the arena and you know just massive amounts of money spent on these things and it couldn't be more antithetical to what it was actually like not only was it real as you were saying for beef number one that it was disappointing and that was it was agonizing and it was confusing but but it was so obscure it was i mean you just cannot tell a story about God invading the 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 world um, in a more <laughs> outlandish kind of way than here's this teenage girl in the middle of nowhere. Her husband wants to divorce her, as his is right, uh, but but um, and he chooses to do it quietly. But God appears to him in a dream, so they they scandalize whatever community they're in. They go to register for this thing. There's some snafu, so they're in with the animals, which wasn't totally uncommon to Tim's point. Um, and they probably had people around them, so they weren't by themselves. But it, it was it was the most humble origin story in the history of the world, and we're just so not content with that, you know. And so um, I, I think Tim, that's a really interesting idea to separate Advent from Christmas, and. Um, and to and, and to to make Advent um, an exclusively focused on Jesus thing that's different from the Christmas season. That's really interesting to me. Like, like let's do Advent in July. Hmm. You know what I mean? Or in September, um, and just separate it out completely uh, from this nice holiday that is full of nostalgia, good feelings, uh, but isn't in any way, shape, or form a representative a representation of the Christian story of Jesus. So I love it. So ladies and gentlemen, I mean, those are the beefs. Those are the beefs. We have more. We have more. Tim said he had like five beefs, <laughs> which is a lot for Tim. And if you know Tim, coming up with beefs isn't hard. No. Um, that's, that's, a, that's a gift. If we were going to do the five ways we loved Christmas, Tim I, probably stretched. would have been sick, sick this episode. How about three? <laughs> so Bethany, all right, tell us a little bit about about your churches because I, yeah. I always love hearing about this. All right, okay. so and where can people find you and your sermons and all those sorts of things? 
Yeah. Uh, so I pastor with my husband. We co-pastor, which is the best. Uh, we pastor a United Methodist Church. We're licensed local pastors for that. And then we also pastor a church plant called Rock. No, not Rock Harbor. We, it came out of Rock Harbor, <laughs> uh, but it's called Catalyst Church. And we started that about 16 years ago with another couple and uh, and they left about five years in. And so we've been feeling like the Lord wants us to stay the whole time. We, we just, It's just like our I don't know. It's 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 one of my favorite things in the entire world is pastoring Catalyst and being in people's lives in that way. Um, I'm the main teaching pastor, but we really believe in like the voices of the people. So uh, we have a lot of different people. So does who come Elon up. Musk? But yes, so, <laughs> yes, we're just like Elon Musk. Just like <laughs> you want to know what we're like. Yeah. Uh, yeah so yeah. we. I have a, we have a lot of different voices that uh, give a teaching here and there. And then every Sunday that I teach, uh, we do a lot of like guiding questions and uh, that way people can talk about how the scripture is impacting them, things I'm that is mm-hmm. um, that whatever I'm saying, how it's resonating, or if mm-hmm. I'm saying something and they're just like, that feels off. I don't know if I agree with you. Just like a lot of conversation that happens in the service. Yeah. Um, which means that our recordings are always a little bit wonky. So you're welcome to listen in. You can find us on on YouTube. Um, if you type in Catalyst Church Humboldt, you'll find us there. But there is definitely like some yeah. quieter voices in the background here and there. So that's yeah, that absolutely shocking. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, and I then we uh, we I just we just finished seminary, so that's really great. Um, we have three kids, and they're all teenagers. They're 13, 15, and 16, and uh, a lot of, uh, just a lot of chaos that comes with three teenagers in our home and all of their friends that are at our home all the time. So it's it's good. It takes a lot of um, prayer and therapy. Mm-hmm. Both coffee. are needed. And coffee. Yeah. 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 Yep. yeah. I love it. <laughs> Thank you, Bethany. Thank yeah. you for your time today. Totally. You're the best. Oh, this was awesome. Thanks for having me on. Of course. Merry day after Christmas. (laughs) Thank you, thank you, thank you for listening to this conversation. Voxology is a 501c3 nonprofit organization that is supported by listeners just like yourself. If you'd like to partner with us, you can do so at Patreon dot com backslash voxology you can also join the community and hang out and chat with us on the socials facebook.com backslash voxology podcast and on instagram at voxology thank you thank you thank you for walking the long road with us